0: Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first. All others second. This is Ask Noah.
1: Live, Multispeed Technology is the show that puts you the listener in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah July. Good evening and welcome into the Ask Noah Show. As I said, I am your host, Noah July, and I am happy to be here with you. Last week was a bad, bad week for us in the IT world. And um, news is still coming out about Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities that affect all modern Intel processors and AMDs to some lesser extent. Now, if you're just joining us live and you're not part of the usual crowd that downloads and listens to the show, I'd invite you to head over to AskNoahShow.com, click on the download section and grab episode number 43. Given the nature of these attacks, we, we couldn't just wait for our usual airtime. And we know there are people out there that depend on this show, that count on the show to provide them with a the condensed version of the story. So check out episode 40, uh, 43, and we spend the first 15 minutes giving you a basic breakdown of what you need to know, what you need to understand. We go into just enough detail that you'll really understand this vulnerability, but not so much that it, you know, bores your ears off. And, uh, and then we, and then the rest of the episode, after the first 15 minutes, and we just kind of kicked back and chatted and, uh, and kind of talked with it. Michael Tunnell joined me as a special guest. Now, I'll have a link for, to that episode in this episode's show notes, uh, because that is, um, I, I think we did a pretty good job of breaking it down there. And, uh, obviously the situation is fluid and things are coming in rapidly and we are going to continue to bring information as it becomes available, including bringing you industry experts, uh, on to the show. But as this is the Ask Noah show and you guys call to hear my opinion on things and people are calling in to ask my opinion on things, we'll go to the phones. Carrie from, uh, California is calling. Hey, Kerry, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hi, how you doing? Hey, pretty good. How can we help?
2: Um, I had some questions regarding Spectre and Meltdown with regard to the microcode for the processor being patched at boot time by the kernel.
1: Okay, I'll my answer it if I can.
2: Like for Windows, I, well, my understanding for Windows computers is that they have to have a BIOS or firmware update. Whereas I, I've heard that for for Linux, uh, the kernel can patch that during the uh, during the boot time. But I'm just wondering, is that true? And if so. Are all processors affected by this being patched at boot time um, with updated kernels, or is this going to be rolled out over time as, as more and more processors are actually supported with updates?
1: That's a great question. Uh, that's a great question, Carrie. Let me let me do this. Uh, we've got the mumble room with us. Is there anyone in the mumble room that can speak authoritatively to this?
3: Authoritatively? Well, no. okay. But in consideration? Yeah, sure. All our hardware already exists, right? So all of the microcode is already, or it's updatable, and it can be replaced. So all the previous hardware that we've already bought has to only get new features or ways of functioning by new microcode updates. Okay. So in terms of microcode updates, it's the only way to fix current hardware that isn't already produced or manufactured in the future, which has this mitigation in the chip or in the silicon.
1: Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Kerry, does that make sense to you?
2: Yeah, it makes sense. I'm just, I guess, I'm curious about the current status. Then, does that mean that only certain processors have received some of the updates that are being, you know, updated in the kernel, or, or does that mean that you know most processors that are affected by this are being updated? Because my understanding is that you can patch. Some of this in software, but not all of it is fixed unless you actually update the microcode for the processor.
1: Well, I tell you what, I, I tell you what, I will let me do this. Let me put you back on hold here for a second. And let me introduce our guest that was joining us this hour, because uh, this is something we're bringing him on to speak authoritatively on. Obviously, you know, I am a tech guy. I am a system administrator. So I deal with this stuff at a, you know at a, at a very basic level. At AI apply the patches level, um, but I don't hack on kernel code, and uh, and I'm certainly not uh, talking to the people that do. But our guest that's coming on this hour does uh, talk to the people that do, works directly with them. Red Hat has played a integral role into this. They were one of the first companies to get a patch out into their uh, into their Linux systems, and we have Brandon Johnson joining us from Red Hat. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the program.
4: Hi Noah. how are you doing?
1: Excellent. Now, now you're coming back on the program. This isn't the first time you've been here. You've been on uh, what once or twice before?
4: Yeah, I think it's twice now. Now this will be the third.
1: So. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh so uh, I'm going to bring our uh, I'm going to bring Kerry back on the line. Kerry, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. So I don't know Brandon when exactly you joined us, but Kerry, could you repeat your question to Brandon? We'll see if he has any insight for you.
2: Okay. So My question was regarding updating the microcode for the processors. My understanding is that this issue cannot be completely uh, protected against without updating the microcode. Uh, My understanding, again, I may be wrong, is that the kernel can update the microcode during boot time, uh, or you can also update it via, like, doing bias bias updates. But I'm wondering, does this mean that only certain processors are actually being protected right now because these patches are still kind of coming out and there's a wide range of processors affected? Or am I completely wrong in my thinking? And, and so please just correct me about that.
4: No, you're correct. So uh, uh, mo- most of the, uh, the hardware vendors are going to need to uh, push out microcode uh, updates for their, for their hardware. So uh, HP uh, is going to need to, Dell, et cetera, um, uh, I know, uh, like IBM is pushing pushing out some stuff for their processors, because uh, uh, like everyone's thinking of x86, uh, um, but Power was also affected, so was Z series. Um, so uh, there's a um, so all the vendors are gonna have to push this out, but the microcode uh, that that was shipped with like Rel or CentOS or Ubuntu that should that should uh, fix some of it. But you need to also rely on your vendor uh, to uh, push uh, uh, out microcode updates.
1: Does that answer your question, Carrie? Okay,
4: so, yeah, I think so. Just, if I could just do one quick follow-up.
1: Yeah. Does that
2: mean, like, if I had, um, like, a 2015 server that's kind of a little bit older, so probably not getting patches right away, if I loaded, if I updated RHEL, um, would the microcode updates in RHEL be supporting or up- updating the microcode in my processor, or would it only be like if I have the latest and greatest processor at this point? I'm speaking from, like, for an Intel platform.
4: Yeah, I, I haven't looked uh, too deep into the microcode that we shipped. I, I should have before this. Uh, before this, but uh, the uh, but it should. Uh, uh, it's it in, Intel wrote that so. Basically, just uh, it should be uh, in the uh, uh, if you're running an Intel CPU, it should uh, it should update it. Okay, that that answers my question.
1: Cool, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Again, the phone lines one eight five five four five zero noaa That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow dot com. Hey Brandon, so uh, so this is it's been. I bet you're having an interesting week at Red Hat. I bet there's. Uh, I bet it's been a fun time.
4: Uh, it is. I mean, uh, we customers uh, asking, uh, you know, barraging us with questions. It's actually uh, 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 just a little, uh, you know, we, we're actually doing a Q&A on Thursday. I posted yes. it in the chat. You know, we're tweeting about, tweeting about it. I've tweeted about it. Um, so we're going to be doing a Q&A on it uh, on Thursday. Um, and uh, so if you have a question, please please go and. Join it. That our uh, performance engineering team is a uh, 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 du- is uh, putting that on. Um, so that th- it's mostly mostly it's question. You know, people don't really have questions anymore about the vulnerability. They have questions: How am I going to get my performance
1: back? Right, <laughs> right, yeah. So when you and I were chatting last, was it last night or the night before? And uh, and I said, you know, you know, what do you think about this? is this is this a, is this a huge deal or is this a little deal is it getting blown out of proportion is it are people rightly to be concerned about this and you said yeah there's a performance hit for sure and you said in certain instances you're seeing 10 times reduction in performance
4: yeah it just depends i mean like these are lab uh this is all lab stuff but you know i go into what i can but the uh uh some of our lab, some of our lab stuff you know it'd be it it's been a it's a huge hit. It's not it's not small. I mean, uh, it, it, but that that was a you know worst case scenario. Probably probably not most people. Um, but like uh, uh, really, the thing that's not going to get hit the most is uh, people using Linux day to day on their laptop. I mean, so most of that stuff is in user space. So and that and that, uh, yeah. user space performance really hasn't been affected at all. Right. Um, right. I think what's been uh, hit. Hit the most is high performance computing. One of the things that I was chatting with you last night about was uh, I, I um, was uh, going, you know, going to di- you know, going to disk is very kernel intensive, and, and you need your CPU to help process, help help, ch- help churn that out. And uh, um, uh, uh, the functions are now you know being disabled, or and uh, on the CPU or just uh, being you know not. Uh, Very useful for writing to disk, especially, or even reading from disk, especially if it's like a a file server that's pulling files, uh, uh, um, you know, the same file over and over and over again. Um, yeah. So like high performance computing and things like that. Uh, that, that that's also going to that's heavily affected.
1: How about how about virtual infrastructure? Because one of the things that I've seen in the last two to three years is that people are virtualizing like crazy, and be it on VMware or on Liberty or over, which, you know, you've come on the program and talked about previously. But we have set up a number of virtual infrastructures. And now I'm sitting back and I'm going, man, all of these machines are probably largely going to take a performance hit because of this. Did I lose you? And you're right, oh, they, they are.
4: are. No, no, I'm back. Yeah, no, they are going to take a performance hit. But uh, th- there, there are handfuls, there's a handful of ways to mitigate it. Um, uh, one of them is like uh, with KVM uh, in particular. So re- actually really quick, If uh, I, wa- I want to mention this first before I go into this. Please go, if you're running KVM, patch your host, patch your guests, do it now the um, reason why I, i'm saying that is i actually did a test on this in my home lab uh on a on, a, on a patch host to, uh i can actually read even on a patched um, uh, guest uh it's uh, really yeah, yeah you can you can do all kinds of fun stuff with unpatched so, so- host So So it's it's, the host is unpatched.
1: So even so, like so, to put this into real world perspective, let's say I'm on a DigitalOcean droplet, and uh, I patch my DigitalOcean droplet because I'm a good system administrator. But let's say they didn't patch their host machine, Uh, and of course they would because that's kind of why people flock to places like DigitalOcean because they do such a good job maintaining their infrastructure. But let's just say for the sake of argument that they hadn't, then my system is still vulnerable even though I'm running the latest kernel. I have that patch.
4: Yeah. So if their host gets compromised, uh, the, the, uh, the guests are compromised. I I would consider the guests compromised.
1: Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, I want to continue this. this, Are you, you're not a time crunch at all. Are you?
4: No, I'm, I'm uh, free the whole hour. So what, what, yeah, one of the things I also want to mention really fast, if you don't mind, is, uh, there are ways to mitigate the, some of the performance issues and, uh, uh, for on virtualization. So one is just making sure that all your, uh, uh, all the CPU types are the same. Make sure they're using, uh, uh, and if uh, specifically on the guest, just make sure that the guest matches the guest CPU type matches the host. And the easiest way to handle that is just say you, uh, in the drop down when you build a, a, v, a VM is just tell it to use the, the get uh, the the host uh, CPU instruction set. Yeah, that's all you have to do. And, uh, and, and then there's a few other options that need to be configured. I'm going to be blogging about this. So I'm going to be writing something up about this uh, here pretty soon. Um, and uh, so uh, I'll, I'll get into more, we can get into more details.
1: Yeah, I do. I want to dig into that and more. I also want to talk about that, uh, that, uh, that um, event that you guys are holding and how people can participate in that. But I see callers are coming in. I, I assume you're okay if we take some calls? I'll, I'll just assume that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Great. So let's start it with Brian in Ontario. Hey, Brian, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hi, how's it going? Hey, excellent. How can we help? Um, I have a couple of questions,
2: uh, not anything to do with uh, Meltdown or anything, but sure. um, I wanted to know, you've done some kiosk stuff in the past I've heard, and I have some kids that I'd like to um, you know, have some uh, control over what goes on on the computer when I'm not around, so I wanted to see if there was a a way you could point me into having user accounts where if you log into that account, then there's only like one program or one website or something like that. You could go to like an educational program or something like that. Sure. And still have other accounts where you can log in and do whatever you want.
1: Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Brandon, what's your thoughts?
4: I haven't really thought about that, (laughs) but uh, Mm -hmm. just... uh, like, you know, kiosk style stuff, I've always, uh, um, I, I like using, a, like being able to just blow away um, any configuration that's ever happened on it. Uh, Every single time, like just have a check-in with like an Ansible server or a Puppet server. But sure. That that that's probably way overblown.
1: <laughs> no, that yeah, no, that's a, it's a valid answer. That would work, uh, you know, and and you could have it set up so that uh, you know you can. Uh, the nice thing about that is, if the kids do screw it up, then that Ansible server comes in, pulls down a new config. I'll tell you, Brent. Here's what here's what I I would do. I uh I, what we do at our at our hotels is we have a we have we have two. Different types of kiosks. The first is like the generic what you think of when you think of like a web guest kiosk. It's just a computer that has a web browser, uh, both web browsers, Firefox and Chrome, and has like Adobe Flash and uh, you know a PDF reader and all the things that people need to to, to get the stuff done they want to get done on the internet, right? And we have a printer installed and stuff like that. Now for that kind of configuration we use a basically a script that just it it basically it takes the tarball when we first set the machine up of the user's home directory and stores it and we call that the sterile copy and we just store that in the root directory and then we have a script and every time the computer boots up the computer blows away the current user's home directory and then untarballs that sterile copy and institutes a new copy in in, in, as the user's home directory and then we remove elevated permissions from that kiosk user so the user doesn't have access to anything outside really outside of their home directory because they're not a privileged user and and we can we can control almost everything because all the bookmarks all the settings, all of that stuff is stored inside of the home directory in some form or another. And the things that aren't things like the Wi-Fi connection, the IP address, stuff like that, it will lock you out if you're not a privileged user. So that's how we've been able to mitigate that. Now, if I understand what you're talking about, you're saying you want to actually restrict which certain types of applications. Now, the second type of kiosk that we set up, and we've set this up for um, uh, businesses that they... It, it, this isn't guest-facing, it's employee-facing, but you still want to lock the machine down quite a bit. Uh, and so and what we do in those situations is we actually use XSCE. We install the, the, the applications that are there and we customize the panels and we put a big panel along the bottom, kind of like a dock, so to speak, and we put only the applications those employees are supposed to be using. Now, if you have a really smart kid, are they going to be able to open the terminal and run the program? Yeah, they are. But uh, 99% of the time, People, I mean, yeah, that, that's enough. It, 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 it's it's kind of like we say that we put locks on the doors to keep the honest people honest. That's kind of how I look at the kiosk thing. Is that is that an acceptable solution, or is that not secure enough for you?
2: It's certainly something to get me started. Like basically, I'm using Time KPR Timekeeper to you know give them so many hours per day on the computer, but then sure. you know I want to be able to have certain things that they can run whenever they want because they're not you know Netflix and, and that yeah. sort of thing.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'll I'll give another uh, unsolicited plug. Uh, and thank you, Brian, for the call. I'll give you a, I'll give another unsolicited plug for a router. And I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, I can't think of the, the, the who it's made by, but uh, Koala, I think it's called. But basically, it's it's the router that we have in our house for the kids. They're on their own separate network. And basically what this router does is it allows you to. Uh, Put in a schedule say like each you know mac address is allowed a certain amount of well, it wouldn't be under orders it'd be under let's see under here we go uh it, it'll put in here and it'll say um you know this is uh, this is how many hours that each mac address can get and so their their tablet can get one yeah it's it's called the koala safe k o a l a s a f e and it's basically a router specifically for kids got a little web ui has a little app and you can put in there and 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 it kind of takes the uh, it kind of takes uh, the parenting administration and dumbs it down a little bit for you. So you can not dumbs it down, but just makes it a little bit more powerful and gives you a little web UI. So you can have a, as Chris would say, a dashboard for days. Again, Brian, thanks for the call. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah.
4: No, can I um, add on to to this a little bit? Please. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah, So I was was just thinking about it. Um, So like if you're managing like kiosks or even lots of kiosks or even just a handful um, just came in my head, a, a project called fleet commander. Um, it yes, would definitely help with this because you can enforce policies and say you cannot install this application, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. I mean, it's the ultimate in like restricting <laughs> uh, uh, a Linux machine because uh, it goes through G settings, does all kinds of really good stuff that you can just walk down the machine.
1: I I um, have I have to ask, did you think of Fleet Commander because I was talking about really cool dashboards because Fleet Commander has like one of the coolest dashboards out there.
4: No, it, 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 a little bit before. A little bit okay. before. <laughs> All, right. All right. Joe it does have a good dashboard.
1: Yeah, it does. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. If you haven't checked out Fleet Commander, you should. It'll change your life. Joe is calling from Pennsylvania. Hey Joe, welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Hey, thanks for being here. Your um, question for the, Yeah, your question for Brandon and me.
3: Uh yeah, sure. So um as you probably know, uh churches across the country are starting to take um Uh, security and safety a little more seriously, and our church is looking for um, at least uh, uh, a security system uh, for video cameras where we can monitor um, one building and then uh, monitor two buildings but from one place. So what's like a a good balance between easy to use um security surveillance systems and a decent price range.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Joe, before I answer your question, I just I gotta ask, did you by chance use a contact form and reach out to us through Altaspeed a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago? Yeah, that's me. Okay, so the email address you provided was wrong and it has been driving me nuts. And I'll and I'll tell you why. Uh I, a lot of you a lot of you if you know me personally uh, you know that I have a I have a strong walk with God, and I, I'm not the kind of person that wears my religion on my sleeve. Um, that's just not who I am. But uh, but but it is a central part of of my being. And so, when the opportunity presents itself, I, I don't shy away from talking uh, about it. And um, so, Joe, uh, uh, the the answer to your question is uh, unify. Unify is one of the most cost effective, easy to set up solutions that exist for. Uh, ip video it really video cameras in general because what you can do joe is you can set the the nvr the controller up at any place and the uh, cameras will connect via ip so there's a number of different ways you could solve the problem you're trying to solve right you could put you could put cameras at different buildings and use the vpn to connect them to the nvr or you could have an nvr at each building we've we have a hotel actually that has three different locations but it's all owned by the same owner and he wants to be able to look at them all at once and so we have nvrs at each location and cameras at each location then he can just enter in the appropriate ip address or host name and it pulls it up now i i do want to tell does that answer your question i guess before i go any further
3: uh yeah the the only the only one concern is that um i'm pretty much the only true techie at my church and Mm -hmm. even i'm not super super technical so um i'm trying to like uh have systems where I can train someone and move on to the next project. Yep. Um, Do you think that's, that system will be easy enough for a volunteer to pick up within like a month or two?
1: Yeah, man. I, it's just a web page. I mean, you go, you, you literally, you type in oh, the web page of the host name, you click on the camera you want. It's super easy. Now, Joe, I do want to make an offer to you. Uh, I, I, and we can talk about this more off air, but, uh, officially speaking, AltaSpeed uh, Technologies policy is that we offer a a deep discount to houses of worship unofficially again, my personal belief is that it, we, we are called as you know as christians to uh, to give back to the kingdom of God, so I, I will donate all of my time to set all of this up for you as well as i 'd like to donate some of the equipment so i 'm going to put you back on hold and i 'll have Sarah pick up and uh, get your particulars down, and you and I will get in contact and i 'd love to help you out with this project because i I think it 's very much something. Worth doing. And thanks for calling the Ask Noah Show. We appreciate having you. Uh, Chaz is calling from New York. Hey, Chaz, welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
0: Hey, Noah. Great to talk to you at the new time.
1: Uh, my microphone wasn't on. I was, hi, hi, uh, my my guest here and I are we're we're chatting uh, off the we're chatting uh, on on the computer and I, I reached over to respond to you and I didn't realize my microphone wasn't on. I'm such a noob. Hey, Chaz. What, yeah, it's it's great to be on Tuesday. My mind hasn't fully adjusted. In fact, our video producer was telling me the other day he's like I- I'm just not used to you not having a show on Monday. And I'm like, yeah, it's because I'm so consistent. Like if I say I'm going to do something and it gets done, how can we help, Chaz?
0: Well, uh, I want to take it back in time to the last days of the Linux Action Show uh, to set up my question. Okay. If you remember, um, you and Chris both had simultaneous failures of Arch uh, around the same time, yep. around the end of the uh, Linux Action Show. And it got you guys talking about the concept of a bulletproof Linux. And could you have a bulletproof Linux? And yes. what would a bulletproof Linux look like? Right. Fast forward to now... We are four months removed from a new Ubuntu LTS, a radical change in the Ubuntu LTS, and they're very much trying to push the idea of snaps. My question to you is, are snaps over the new GNOME-inspired Ubuntu? Uh, how close does that get to the bulletproof uh, Linux idea that you guys were exploring in the last days of last?
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rope uh, Brandon on, uh, in on this. I'd love to get your take as well, Brandon.
4: Yeah, so, like, from my perspective, well, I, I, am a little biased I me. Mean, I work for Red Hats, but, uh, um, my bulletproof Linux, I, I have a workstation that runs, uh, RHEL, and, uh, um, I, for me, that, I, that workstation doesn't move. It's RHEL 7, right now it's RHEL 7.4, um, no, GNOME's at, uh, 3.20, um, yeah, I think it's 3.20 or 3.22. I don't remember, uh, the exact version, but, uh, for me, that, that's perfect. And what's great about 7.4 or CentOS 7.4, whether you're talking RHEL or CentOS, is it supports Flatpak. So if I need something a little bit newer that's not in the repos, I, I can get it. Uh, uh, so that, that's, uh, has been really nice for me. Uh I, uh, I don't like my workstation to move. And I've been using CentOS, uh, or Rel and RHEL. For my workstations for quite some time, and from a Fedora perspective, the uh, I I use Fedora on my laptops just because battery life is a little better. In um, Fedora has been great since Fedora 23. I mean, I I haven't reinstalled Fedora uh, since since at least Fedora 23. It might have been 22, but um, I've been uh, like for me, Fedora is the Fedora and uh, and enterprise Linux is uh, the bulletproof uh, uh, workstation. That's that, that's my opinion.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. And and as a Fedora user for a long, long time, I I I can echo a lot of what you said. Here's I'll tell you. Uh, here's my perspective on it, Chaz. I'll tell you. And if if Chris, I don't know, is he still in here? Yeah, start dropping. Uh, so he's at least near IRC. If he wants to call in, I I I'd loop him into this conversation too. I don't like, uh, you know. But uh, so here, here's kind of my take on it. For the longest time, I was running Ubuntu or Fedora. And uh, and and Chris was running Ubuntu for a long time and then he switched over to using Arch and his his uh, his rationale for that for the longest time was Ubuntu is good, but there's a better Linux experience out there. And um, when we were at. System 76, it was in November of 2015. We had probably an hour long uh, debate, if you will. It was we were on air, but uh, we weren't actually doing the show. It's like, I don't know what we were doing. We were doing something. But we're having this debate on the benefits and uh, the benefits and, and and detractors of Ubuntu versus Arch, and one of the things that I said it was that Ubuntu was very 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 polished. It was a desktop distribution that was extremely well polished. Uh, the, there so many of the edges were just uh, really filed off, and it felt like a very cohesive experience. Now it wasn't it wasn't moving. It wasn't. On the cutting edge, it was like there was really not any seriously significant changes between 1204 until, uh, you know, uh, seventeen uh, wherever 1710, whenever GNOME was. I mean, the, it's basically the same field. If I sat 10 people in front of it, unless they knew what they were looking for, a lot of them are just going to say, eh, it's about the same thing. But it's a really polished desktop experience. And uh, what snaps do, and Brandon, feel free to chime in here if, if I'm wrong on this, what I think snaps do is they remove – the importance of the underpinnings of the desktop and make it more about the presentation of the desktop. As long as the desktop is responsive, as long as gnome doesn't crash, as long as it looks pretty, all of the underpinnings, all of the actual important mechanical stuff underneath, that's all being containerized now.
4: Yeah, I'd echo that. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I I use Flatpak uh, instead of snaps, but uh, either way, I mean, the concept is the same. I mean, it's containerized. I I uh, and that, that's why I use uh, um RHEL seven for my workstations because I it the uh, applications are containerized. The uh, run all its runtime is all bundled together, and uh, and my workstation can stay you know stay static. What's great, what I like about what what I have going is. If I if I decided not to upgrade my machine for until twenty twenty three, whenever Rel seven goes end of life, uh, it, it, I'm going to have a supported uh, desktop that <laughs> yeah that gets security
1: patches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Charles, what do you, how does how does that ring for you?
0: Uh yeah, I think uh, I think I'm pretty I'm understanding what you're saying. And I had one follow up if yeah. uh, I could real quick, please. I, um, so. I thought of it when you mentioned 1710. Normally, when the new LTS comes out, I, you know, download and install it right away. Um, uh, Thing is, though, I have a Lenovo X260, and I got a couple people who I install Linux for that are kind of responsible for maintaining their systems. Should I wait, given what happened with 1710 a a couple days before installing the LTS, or do you think the LTS is going to be, you know, you think they're going to give special attention to the LTS to make sure that what happened with Lunovos and Acer doesn't happen again?
1: Yeah, I, I, my gut tells me that Canonical is going to be extraordinarily well tuned into the release of of 1804 for a number of reasons. One is that there were so many little things that popped up on 16 the the LTS, the last LTS, the 1604 that weren't in the LTS like a day before because Chris and I reviewed it. And then we actually got the actual LTS and it was, it was like a totally different animal in a lot of ways. Uh, And for, for that reason, as well as what has happened with 17, because I can tell you, I've, I've spoken to people at canonical. They are, they are riveted to, their customers' feedback, the users' feedback for seventeen ten, because they really want to see how this gnome thing is going. How um, they've made a couple other changes, they want to see how those things are going to play out before they make their decision on what they're going to roll out. Um, actually, I guess I can talk about it. The different Wayland. Uh, I guess we did talk. We had an interview about that, so I can talk about that. Uh, but um, how 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 is Wayland going to do in seventeen ten? And if it works well, that will drive their decision for eighteen o four. So no, I think you're probably safe to install it. I might wait a week. Because what's the rush? I mean, there's really, I mean, the nice thing about the LTS is you have so much overlap, you know? Right, of course. Yeah, so that that's what I would do. I I would, uh, I, I'd i install it, but I would probably wait a week. And I'll tell you, I won't be waiting a week. The second uh, 1804 ships, I want it on my machine because I want to get to, you know, because that's where, you know, that's where the that's where the world is. Uh, Eric is calling from Kansas City. Hey, Eric, welcome to the Ask Noah show.
5: Hey, good evening, Noah.
1: Hey, how's it going?
5: Going really well. How about you?
1: Good. Eric, can I just, uh, can I trouble you to just speak, speak directly into your phone? It's, I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, much better. Okay, that, great. That, yeah. yeah, your question for Brandon and me.
5: And so, as you know, I've got the, an IT consulting business that I'm working on growing. And one of the things I'm looking at offering is just drop-in replacements for existing, uh, existing systems talked in the past about the uh, users buying the wrong version of Windows uh, and not being able to join Active Directory. So I'm looking mm-hmm. at being able to drop-in replacements uh, to laptops. But I'm having trouble checking out Office systems based on need. What, what do you look for uh, CPU-wise, performance-wise, do you do you go the I do you go the I seven or can you get by with an I five? What what uh what uh, material do you look at to make that decision?
1: Sure. Brandon, what are your thoughts? Brandon? Uh, oh there he is.
4: Just uh um like drop drop uh, can, can you expand on that a little bit? Just like uh drop and replacements like specific for what? Like like it like any business type of product like a like a or, or use case like to active and you mentioned active directory
5: right a lot of my customers uh, a lot of my potential clients are still on Windows and my, my hope is to start moving them over to Linux uh, but that's not always possible at least maybe not a hundred percent so I, I basically see two different groups of users that I I would come across. Your your basic office user who's using uh, the web browser for 80% of their work, and then basic office uh, solutions like email and and word processing. Uh, But then I would see another group of, say, power users. This may be someone who's doing some graphic design for for marketing for their company, Um, maybe video editing. I'm sure there's other categories. But there's the two that stand out the most.
4: Okay, I think I see where you're going. So, um, like, I've actually done this. I was actually talking to Noah about this on, on chat last week. But I've been doing a lot of retrospect on, like, a retrospective of my career lately. And um, one of the things I did very early in my career is I, I, I helped migrate um, uh, a company that was quite large, uh, well over 5,000 employees from Windows to Linux uh, on the desktop. And one of the things that I would recommend uh, anyone that that, that, help, that does anything like this is uh, to um, one, if you're gonna w- want to start moving them to Linux or do something like that on their Windows box, install Firefox or Chrome, uh, inst- and install LibreOffice. Um, just you know, give them a taster of what what they're gonna go. And if they actually use LibreOffice, if they actually use Chrome over Edge. Um, yeah, you know, that, 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 that's a good stepping stone. Um, and then, uh, always target task workers first. I mean, if they're, if, if all they do is, if all they use is a web browser, Linux, that's a fantastic use case. Yeah. Um, if, and if you're going to, and if you want to do a drop in replacement for anything else, like, a like a replace active directory Samba four is fantastic for that. Um, uh, uh, and if you're eventually want to replace it all, there's project, uh, and you want to use, uh, I, for identity and if you still need, need identity systems, uh, free IPA is great for that as well for handling, uh, um, yeah. identity, uh, doing identity. Um, if you're looking at replacing, a um, active directory and other things like email and stuff, like, uh, you need to keep, like, one of the things that, uh, I learned from this is you need to keep an, um, uh, uh, the experience the same across all platforms so whether if you're talking you're moving people from windows to Ma- windows or mac to linux the email client needs to look is the same right on linux like ev- like evolution is a uh, you know sometimes it breaks but it's a godsend cuz it looks just like outlook
1: yeah. Uh. The, the, well, the other thing you can do is you can use, uh, you know, cross-platform applications like Thunderbird. I'll tell you, um, I'll, I'll tell you, Eric, what, I'll, I'll tell you our go-to, Alta Speed's go-to. If, if a customer calls us, they say, we want to replace our front desk computer, our office computer, our general manager's computer. Uh, our go-to specs are, uh, latest gen i5, 16 gigs of RAM, and an SSD 120 or bigger. Uh, and what we found is that those specifications will handle like 90% of use cases. And you have, like, when you start getting into video editing or even if you're doing like large uh, graphic design or photo editing and stuff, you might want to revisit that and look at discrete graphics. But as far as like a general go to model, like, you know, like the Optiplex, uh, I think it's the 3050 is what we're up to now. The Optiplex 3050 with an i5 16 gigs of RAM and a 120 SSD, that is a recipe for success on, in almost every case. I, I don't know, Brandon, if you agree with that or.
4: Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Four or five is more
1: than enough. Chat, Chatroom also points out that Office uh, uh, Office 365 has the Outlook web. app. Oh, no, 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 no! They don't. They don't even charge for the Outlook web app. That one's free. Uh, but then they have, um, but then they have the Office 365, which is a web app too. So you can again talking about keeping that 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 experience consistent across uh, all uh, across all platforms. And Eric uh, um, Brandon would actually be a great guy to ask about your uh, your virtualization question.
5: Yeah, uh, Noah and I were talking a little bit earlier in the day about uh, about the new vulnerabilities that have come out, and it uh, it, it dawned on me while you're talking, Brandon, uh, my uh, my day job relies heavily on ESX, um, whereas my home network and my IT guys, my my IT consulting network uh, is more dependent on, upon uh, Libvirt. So my my question would be. Uh, with, with these patches, have have you seen who gets a a, a worse performance? It would it be the, the ESXi's out there or the uh, Liver D systems?
4: I haven't seen benchmarks from VMware. Um, uh, I've, seen, I've seen ours. Um, uh, there's a uh, like some of the recommendations I said earlier. Like that, that helps mitigate. Another one is make sure that uh, the feature called PCID um, is enabled on your uh, processors, um, so that's uh, another important thing. Uh, uh, from uh, Probably uh, one of the things that we've noticed internally um, um, is that uh, pre-Skylake is more vulnerable. I think that this is public knowledge everywhere, pre-Skylake, it seems to be hit the worst, like any processor pre-Skylake uh skylight like seem, seems to you know not hit a the performance hit is not as bad
1: yeah so uh anyway, thank you very much Eric for the call uh and uh, uh again the phone number one eight five five four five zero noah that 's one eight five five four five zero six six two four the email live at asknoahshow.com dot com if you 're just joining us brandon Johnson from Red Hat is joining us now brandon the reason i I had him ask you that virtualization question is because virtualization is kind of your wheelhouse right
4: yeah, a, I, uh, uh, I've i been working with a KVM for forever, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, you have, and you've come on this program and talked about it. So uh, I'll let the phone line stack up there for a little bit. I see a couple of you still on hold. We'll get back to you, but I, I just want to dive in. And I, The reason we brought Brandon on is we want to pick his brain about um, these latest Intel vulnerabilities. Now, again, if you download episode 43, we'll dig into it a little deeper, but I'll just take a, a couple moments and, and give you guys the cliff notes. Basically, um, if – You know, Back in the 1960s, a technology called speculative execution was invented, which essentially you can think of it like going into a diner uh, day after day and placing the same order. And then at some point, the owner of that restaurant notices a pattern and starts to make your dinner for you before you actually arrive. And one day you come in and you order something else. Now, the diner has to throw out that original meal and make you a new meal. And the CPU does very much the same thing with the problems that you present to it. Well, it's waiting for data to be returned from main memory, which can take I don't know, upwards of 100 to 200 cycles of the CPU, it can look ahead and then try to execute some of the upcoming actions while it's waiting for that data to be returned. Now, if we go back to this now, if the speculative execution gets it wrong, just like in our diner example, it dumps the information. But if it's correct, then the CPUs in fact, become more efficient. So the issue lies in the fact that back in the 1960s, when this idea of speculative execution was invented, computers were basically doing one thing at a time. They weren't powerful enough to multitask. Today, you run multiple programs, you run multiple things on your machine, and when it comes to virtual machines, which again, Brandon is an expert on, you literally have potentially hundreds of machines sharing the same resources. And so there's no real security in that trash can in our analogy that these machines dump data to. So one virtual server, as Brandon was explaining at the beginning of the episode, when it throws an incorrect data away, an unsecured machine could then steal it. Um, And that's where I have to stop and say that all of the, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but all of this is a theoretical attack. There are no proven cases of this. This isn't actually being actively exploited. This is just proven possible.
4: Yes, uh, it's just been proven possible. But it's, you know, critical enough that like, you know everyone is running around <laughs> with their heads cut off patching systems getting uh, and fixing the exploits as best they can now in this uh, what what really sucks is that it's a um, uh, it's a band aid um and it, yeah that's what really stinks about this because like, well- you can't
1: <laughs> well here's here's <clears throat> here's my thing so basically here's the assumption we have to work on. We have to work on the assumption that you have to be able to run code on the machine, and so if we are accepting that anyone can arbitrarily run code on your machine, then we have way bigger fishes to fry than this latest bug right
4: yeah absolutely yeah and it's really uh the I mean, my big worry about it is like uh um uh it it right at least at the moment is it, is the performance hit i mean with virtualization like you have uh, uh speculative execution is fantastic for virtualization because you have multiple systems running on the same machine and it and, mo- and and usually they're all running the same process you know in some cases they are running the same processes System d for example because uh, uh, every one of your guests is probably running mm-hmm. system D as a process, so um, uh, there's it, it so it, it virtualization is going to take a hit I don't know how bad yet you know I haven't really seen uh, benchmarks on, on that yet, sure um, but we'll both
1: yeah, we'll continue we'll continue to watch it. Let me I want to get your take on this. So the situation has not gotten any really any better since Friday. In fact, it's gotten worse. Um we gave a we did a special episode on Friday to talk about this and reported that um AMD was saying that they were largely unaffected by this latest bug. Now today we're hearing a different story from AMD um according to reports from users the patch that microsoft has released and that is and i have it here at uh, kb4056892 is is uh, it it's leaving some amd user systems completely unbootable so after installation the system will no longer boot instead it just displays like the windows logo and there's no little animation below and by the way this is a great point to stop and say this is a good example of, and I could spend the rest of the episode talking about why boot screen should display useful information instead of some cheap digital imitation of a CEO's professional motion desk ornament you know, flying around in a stupid circle. But, but what I thought was interesting, and I want to get your take on this, Brandon, is Microsoft's response to this. Microsoft says it's AMD's fault. AMD, it's your fault. After investigation, Microsoft has determined that AMD chipsets do not conform to the documentation provided previously provided to Microsoft to develop Windows operating system mitigations to protect against the chipset vulnerability known as Spectre and Meltdown. So. I'm interested, like, where does this leave us, Brandon? Like, we have, first we were, we thought it was all Intel's fault. Now it turns out that there are, uh, that, yes, maybe AMD wasn't directly affected by the bug, but now they're being affected by the patch. And the result of this, by the way, is Microsoft has halted this update. So even if you're on an ILT- Intel system, my understanding is, unless you're part of the Windows Insider program and w- were already able to get patched, they halted this before Patch Tuesday.
4: Yeah, well, uh, for, for me, this just... Uh, um Reinforces the need for open source uh, chips and uh, more open source operating systems. So, <laughs> more eyes on the code, more eyes on right. the, on the specifications. Yeah, but, uh, um, for, well, AMD though they, they were they were hit by uh, Spectre. They weren't hit by Meltdown. Uh so either yeah. way it p- patches need to need to happen for uh for AMD uh processors.
1: Well but the so, uh, so, so hold on I I need clarification. I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong. So meltdown is the is the CPU thing that can be patched. Spectre is the software the this the software exploit. But the the patch for meltdown that Microsoft released is what was bricking AMD systems. Am I, is that not correct?
4: I haven't read the Mike that uh, that story today. Uh, okay, it's, so I can't I can't really yeah, talk, sure. talk with authority on that. Sure, but uh, uh, but, but AMD AMD is uh, susceptible to the uh, to the Spectre exploit meltdown is uh, uh, more uh, that that exploit is more uh, is more so on Intel than on anyone else. Uh, from my understanding sure so I, I may I may have that wrong
1: <laughs> no no the, yeah no that you're 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 probably on i i just um you know as, as i 'm going through this, it seems like every time we turn around um it, it's it 's like there's it 's like there's there's some new you know there 's some new huge issue and uh, and so today, reading this story about how Microsoft has halted these patches because of what 's happening to a m d systems it 's like you know really this is it is an industry issue, even if it was Microsoft, or even if it was, uh, excuse me, Intel, that started this. So I, I, I don't know. This is, uh, it, it, this is, this is going to be kind of cool. So uh, where do we go from here, Brandon? Like, w- what are you seeing? Is it, is it really just how do we increase the performance? It, it, I was talking to a gentleman uh, earlier today. Let me see if I can find, pull this back up. So I was talking to a, a gentleman earlier today. We've had him on the program, Mister An, uh, Andrew. Um, what you call him, Andrew? But uh, and basically, he was. I was asking him. I said, you know. What are we looking at for the, you know, for the next iteration of Intel processors? Is this going to, is this going to, to get fixed? And he says, you know, Intel's three step cycle, it it means that we have Icy Lake for one more generation and they're just not going to be able to make a huge change like speculative branching fixings. And so, um, they're not going to attempt to make the CPU compatible in just one generation. And then he says what's worse is they're already manufacturing them. So they're going to have to fix it via firmware, but that's, you know, really not going to be any different than what we have now. So hardware changes, like actually fixed processors, processors that no longer contain this fundamental vulnerability that, you know, that where we need to do the separation thing in, at the kernel level, that's not coming for a long, long time.
4: Yeah, where we go, I... I really don't know. I uh, I think for for now we're going to have to fix it in software. Um, uh, really, this is, makes me want to go invest in Risk Five. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, An arm, uh, so, you, know, more, so, you know, something a little bit more open. Uh, that, that's you know my personal opinion. And uh, but I, I I think that that's uh, gonna what we're going to end up having to do is. From an open source, as like an open source and free software enthusiast, I, um, I, uh, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna want something that that I know it, that I can know, I can go look at, even if I don't understand yeah. it. I can say, okay, this person I trust has said that this is, this right. is fine. Yeah, it, right. And uh, so, I, yeah, I, I really, I really don't know. And in, in the case of Intel right now, I just. Uh, uh, with Intel chips uh, with x86 chipsets um, we'll, we'll just have to fix it in software for the time
1: being sure we got one more call that I want to get in here uh, before I let you go uh, James is calling from Idaho hey James welcome to the Ask Noah show hello hey James how can we help
5: um, this one is what I'm trying to work out in my head I have an
2: SSD to boot the system but add a spinning disk but there's Technically three types of is The SSHD and the true 700 because it's going to be a three inch drive. And the cheaper uh, like Western Digital Blue which spin at 540. I'm like, I don't know if there's going any... to uh, performance hits if I went low a budget or medium, you know, 7RBM or more high budget on performance for opening basic files like photos and documents, uh, it doesn't really matter with the three basic uh, spinning disk
4: technologies that sure, are
1: out. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Uh, Brandon, what's your thoughts? Is, is it worth it for a for a spinning disk? Is it worth it for a, uh, is it worth it for a for, for an SSD or, you know, what do you think of the hybrids, the thing that have the little SSD cache in them?
4: Oh, I, I haven't touched the hybrids in years. Um, I I found them to be unreliable. Um, yeah. Uh, at least at least I did. And not any faster than uh, a spinning disk. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm all SSD except in yeah. my home NAS. And uh, I uh, from a, from spinners, I I only use uh, Western Digital Reds and Blacks.
1: Um, I I agree. That's
4: all, that's all I use. I agree. Uh,
1: I agree. Uh, James, what I would do is I would do a... Uh, if you are if you need the extra storage space, like you're storing a lot of data, I would do a Western Digital... Uh, I would do a Western Digital Red. I'm a big fan of them. Uh, if you are... If you can afford it or you're not looking to do a ton of data, you just need some extra place to... You know, some extra space to put something, put a 512 in there. They're about 200 bucks. You can get them even cheaper if you buy, like, a SanDisk. It'll be an SSD. It'll be super fast. And the nice thing, remember, about SSDs, they only wear down to a read-only state. So you the likelihood is when they fail, they Fading to read-only states, so you don't lose data; you just can't write to them anymore, and that is uh, that's a very beneficial thing, is at least from the from my point of view. Brandon Johnson from Red Hat uh, will have your uh, contact link in in the show notes. If people want to get a hold of you, follow what you do, and you're going to link us to that blog article that you're writing or have written.
4: Yeah, I'm still writing it, so um, as soon as I get it out, I'll be uh, uh, put, putting it on my on my, on my personal blog. I'm just just going to go over like what I'm seeing in my home lab, and uh, you know, because I, I have a Pretty, you know, a lot of hardware, and I just, uh, that, um, uh, I'm just gonna, tw- you know, start tweaking and, see- and seeing what, what will eke out every last, uh, bit of performance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for being here. We really appreciate having you.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, Noah
1: great. Thanks so much, Brandon. Again, Brandon Johnson from Red Hat. Huge thanks to him and, uh, and the team of Red Hat for what they're doing to um, to mitigate this. Hey, guys, we did something really fun in the Telegram group. If you're not part of it, you should join telegram.asnowashow.com uh, we, uh, we We're joking around about uh, what our group is up to. Let me, let, me, let me pull it back up here. Let's see here. We are at, right now, we are at uh, 409 members. And uh, I didn't notice when we topped over 400. I was like, oh, that's really cool. We should have celebrated 400. And uh, the guys in here are giving me a hard time. They they said, I said, we should do a you know a celebration when we get to the next hundred or whatever, and they said, next hundred, dude you got to be a real nerd, celebrate when we get to five hundred and twelve so I asked, "I said, are you guys nuts we 're not going to pick up we 're not going to pick up one hundred and twelve users you know in any realistic time frame. Uh, uh, I think we can so okay it 's a challenge i don 't back down from a challenge. We are doing a um, we're doing a contest inside of the com group. If you join lucky number 512, 512, the 512 person to join wins a $51.20 gift card to Amazon.com. Now, after we get to 512 members, we're going to draw out of all 512 members. So if you're there, you're you're, you're already entered to win, so to speak. Once we get to 512, we're going to draw one number, and that person is going to get a $128 gift card to Amazon.com. So make sure to join the Telegram group, telegram.asknoahshow.com, and also follow us on Twitter at AskNoahShow. We are revamping the the Twitter sphere, and we're going to try to provide you with more up-to-date information on a more frequent Basis, So we'd appreciate your support in both of those places. Now, we are doing something called the Linux Elimination Challenge. And if you're not familiar what that is, it is a system that the Ask Noah Show community has created that uh, basically what we're doing is we are evaluating different Linux distros. We're pitting them against one another, and we're trying to find which one is the best for a given purpose. So last week, we did a Vote between Solis and Manjaro. Now, I, w- I had my own suspicions of which one was going to win, and I'm not going to tell you if, if, they, if it was right or if it was wrong. But needless to say, uh, I was excited when I saw the results. The, the results, the winner between Solis and Manjaro is Manjaro and it won by a, a, a fairly significant margin it wasn't it uh, wasn't huge or anything let me see if i can get this pulled up here it won by let's see we had 60 votes for manjaro and 39 votes for solus so manjaro is the winner solus is out of the running for the linux elimination challenge now this week i decided i'm really going to pitch you guys against each other we're really going to we're really going if it was if it was uh, if it was heated last week it's going to be more heated this week cuz we are pitting canonicals ubuntu the number one desktop operating system at least touted by many to be downloaded. Uh, Ubuntu is an open source software operating system that ah, you guys know what Ubuntu is. I don't have to read that. Come on. Uh, it runs everything from the cloud to your desktop to your server to your Internet of Things. Ubuntu. That's, is, that, is Ubuntu the best op- desktop operating system? I don't know. And we're pitting it against, drumroll please, Fedora. Yes, that's right. Red Hat's Fedora, my chosen operating system for many, many years, running it since version one. Fedora, choose freedom. Choose Fedora. Less setup, more innovation. Choose a flavor of Fedora streamlined for your needs to get work done right away. You can do Fedora server, Fedora workstation. Of course, we're talking about the best distro for the desktop, so I, I'm, I'm thinking Fedora workstation. So make, make sure when this episode is published to head over to asknoashow.com slash elimination com slash elimination and let us know what you think which is your vote should you you would you use fedora or ubuntu and a reminder you don't have to have the exact it doesn't have to be the operating system that you personally would use it's just if you were going to choose one of those things if you were on a Linux island and your choice was between fedora and Ubuntu which one of those two would you choose com slash elimination I try for the most part to keep the radio station the radio station and the podcast network the podcast network but and, you know, they're, they're, the, the exception to that is this show, because other than this show, the two don't really overlap. And so viewers and the, the, the viewers of JB don't really care what k e q q and Grand Forks is doing. And the listeners of k don't really care what's going on at JB. So it, I try to keep both of them separate, except for the legal idea at the top of the hour, which I have to do. Uh, but tonight might be the exception because I think. What's what's coming up next might be interesting to to everyone, to both audiences. KEQQ's harm reduction host, Will, who, by the way, follows the show now that our showtime has moved to Tuesdays. Uh, Since we moved to Tuesdays, we are are now his lead in. And uh, he's doing an on-location broadcast tonight at 7 p.m. So that's just in four minutes here, right after this show. And Will is downtown at the Empire Arts Theater, where the students for the Sensible Drug Policy are holding a panel tonight. And on that panel is, I I believe, people from the city as well as... um, people from the, the, the um, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, and they are going to be having a discussion about the issues raised in a film called The Opioid Epidemic, Seeking Solutions in North Dakota. Now, The Opioid Epidemic was produced by Prairie Public uh, with support from BCBSND, the Caring Foundation, uh, North Dakota Medical Foundation, and Bell Bank. Um, the, the Grand Forks community call to action uh, on addiction and substance abuse and there will be a co-host that is going to be mediating the event and stuff like that. And Will's going to be representing KEQQ Radio there. And um, so if you're passionate about sensible drug policy or care about that or want to hear uh, Will's take, um, Will does a show every, uh, uh, well, I guess, Tuesday at 7 p.m. <laughs> uh, called Harm Reduction Report. It follows this show. And if that's interesting, you you can hear that program coming right up on 88.3 FM here in Grand Forks or streamed live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 at KEQQ Radio com. So if that's interesting to you, check that out. Uh, a huge thanks to uh, everyone that made it, uh, you know, uh, people that call into the show, and a huge thanks to Brandon Johnson from Red Hat. Again, we're going to continue to provide you updated information about what is going on here, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's the best place to, to get updates. Now, the great thing about Twitter is, because I, I put a lot of thought into this, there's a lot of people don't like having to sign up for an account for something, and I, I'm one of those people. I don't really want to have to sign up for an account. Um, but the thing with Twitter and why I'm willing to make an exception here is is the you don't actually have to have an account to follow, to to, to look at the updates on Twitter. You can go to twitter.com slash AskNoahShow and see what we're posting on Twitter. In fact, we're t- looking at ways that we can actually integrate that into the AskNoah dashboard, AskNoahShow.com. And uh, if we can do that, then that's a really great way for us to put in one place without having to host a bunch of back-end infrastructure. One place updates about the shows and stuff like that. And we're also going to try to get news articles and stuff like that tweeted out, things that we talk about during the show notes. By the way, if you don't usually look at the show notes, look at the show notes this week. Because it's not always I put this much work into them, but there is a plethora of links in the show notes. So if you really want to understand this thing, uh, check that out. Also, go back and check out episode 43. The Ask Noah Sh- or, oh. Oh, yeah, there we go. Okay, the Asno show continues next week at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. It's going to take me a while to get used to. Huge thanks to VoxTalesis for providing our phone system. Ben, our producer, Sarah, Al, call screener. We'll hand you off to harm reduction coming up next on KEQQ88.3.